Hi, I'm Tony from Louisville, Kentucky. The Sound of Young America is an independent production supported by listeners like you and me. If you'd like to donate to support the show, visit MaximumFun.org and click on Donate. Live on tape from my house in Los Angeles, I'm Jesse Thorne, and this is The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org. Radio sweetheart, on the airways, it's the sound of It's the sound of young America. I'm Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. My guest on the program uh, is a stand-up comedian, uh, Emmy-nominated television writer, uh, film director, um, Louis C.K. Welcome to the sound Thank of young you. America. Welcome back, I should say. Thank you. I, w- I won one of those. You, know? <laughs> you won an Emmy, too. Yeah. Which, yeah. One did, which one did you win for? Chris, you've you've Chris written Rock for show. some. You wrote for the Chris Rock show, for yeah. David Letterman, for the Conan O'Brien show, mm-hmm. for the Dana Carvey show. Um, basically, you wrote for all of the best eponymous shows, That's shows right. named after their stars of the of I the nineteen nineties. Um, True. I want to ask you this question. Your new special is chewed up. Um, mm-hmm. It's a Showtime special. Uh, I just watched it the other night and really enjoyed it. And um, the the first credit on the special is a dedication to George Carlin. Yeah. What was George Carlin's significance to you? Well, uh, when I was a kid, he was one of the first comedians I was aware of. Uh, uh, Bill Cosby was the first, and then George. Uh, um, and I just, you know, to me, he was the sound. The sound of a stand-up comedian was his in my head. And uh, he, and then I, you know, later in life, he started. He really started changing. It was amazing to watch that that he was evolving, without um, dropping down, or you know. Without di- not digressing, what's the word for it? Without degenerating or getting right. worse. So I always uh, found that really interesting or you know inspiring. So, but anyway, uh, as I uh, I kind of started trying to do this thing of doing a, a different set every year and a new special every year, I was listening to a thing of an interview with him where he described how he did that, and it was you know it meant a lot to me. I I don't think I would be able to do what I'm doing the way I'm doing it. George Carlin is a guy who um, was, his career was born out of this first big stand-up comedy record boom in the uh, late 1960s, early 1970s. Um, But he also transitioned into the second stand-up comedy boom where the great medium, other than being on stage, was that cable television special. Mm -hmm. And he generated a tremendous volume of material, just a truly astonishing volume of material um what did you learn about what about how he did that that inspired you well it's a really big feat to me and even if you know there are guys that have made me laugh harder than george in the past and uh not all of his specials are equal to each other but it's still like it's a consistent body of work and they're all honest they're all clearly the best he could do and they and he really stepped up for all of them there's a lot of comedians who their second special is is crap because uh, that's how thin they were. They spent their whole career building this one perfect hour, and then they did it, and then that, that was over. And uh, so the second hour is either a sputtering version of the first, or sometimes it's they get writers, and they're sort of doing a, a, a shadow of what they were doing before. 
but George kept finding new things to talk about and new things to to share his feelings about. He's very he was a very passionate comic, so um, th- that made me think. Well, it's not like just compiling jokes. It's not like collecting enough jokes till you have an hour and then uh, downloading them, like backing up the truck and just dumping them and then and then start collecting with the little hopefully a few people get picked up by the deluge yeah and then and then you just go back out on the street and pick up jokes with a stick like a garbage collector (laughs) one by one this is a really tortured metaphor (laughs) yeah it is it's and it but it's not it's it's the way that he uh viewed life uh, the way he did and that was so uh compelling and he was so had such a high activity brain so um if you really let your act be really how you feel about life, then you, as long as you're living, you're going to have something to talk about unless yep. your life never changes. You described him as honest. What what does that mean to you and a comedian to be honest? I never think he's bullshitting. And any, any word he says on stage is really from the gut. I don't think it just means... Like, there's a lot of words I'm sick of in comedy, like edgy and pushing the envelope. You know, ooh, he's, you know, talked about abortion nobody is supposed to so that's cool but with george it was like you could tell he was really tired of people bitching about abortion <laughs> and so he said you ever notice the people who protest against abortion are people you wouldn't want to fuck in the first place i don't know what your <laughs> language parameters we'll are we'll bleep it out yeah. but uh it's just because he felt that way so that's what made it funny i mean he wasn't just some guy trying to upset people every everybody has different words that offend them different things that they hear that they get offended by i to me the thing that offends me the most is every time that i hear the n-word not nigger by the way i mean the n-word literally whenever a white lady on cnn with nice hair says the n-word that's just white people getting away with saying nigger that's all that is they found a way to say nigger n-word it's bullshit, because when you say the N-word, you put the word nigger in the listener's head. That's what saying a word is. You say the N-word, and I go, oh, she means nigger. You're making me say it in my head. Why don't you fucking say it instead and take responsibility for the shitty words you want to say? One of the bits in um, your new special, the one that most reminded me of Carlin, um, and specifically of of the way Carlin was often fascinated by l- language and words, and um, you know those kind of it's not an unusual thing for a comedian. You know, comedy is about those kind of logical structures of words. Mm-hmm. Um, was a bit about uh, was a bit about the N word, mm-hmm. um, which I'm uh, uh, legally obligated to refer to as the N word, despite the content of <laughs> yeah, the bit. So weird, yeah. Was that conscious at all? Were Were you at all conscious of of this legacy of, of doing a bit about taboo language when Carlin looms so huge over that subject? Yeah, I would. Well, I didn't think of it when I was coming up with it. I, I, I have kind of, um, I think I just have a thing that was removed, like an appendix for me that cares about the value, the value <laughs> of words, you know what I mean? Or the weight of words. To me, they're all equal. And uh, everyone has a right to every word. So. People thought the appendix didn't do anything. Yeah, exactly. It turns well, out. there was a thing in me that once I think that cared what words I said. I don't know when it was. I don't, maybe it never was there. But anyway, the, the thing is, um, I've always used uh, the whole, uh, the whole uh, language, the whole dictionary, and some that ain't in there, too. 
like ain't. Uh, <laughs> and I see the effect that it has on people, and it's interesting to me. The effect that the words have on people are, is an interesting thing. So when, instead of trying to sneak these words in, I, I started doing these bits about talking about them. And it's not just the N-word. I also It's the, the, the uh, C-word and the uh, F-word uh, that gay people don't like. Those three, I, I started the whole set by, by talking about the effect of those three words on people. And my f- personal feelings about those words, because they're probably words I use a lot. So I wanted to talk about that. And then once I came came up, once it turned into like a, this this analysis of these three words, um, I looked at it and said, "Wow, that's pretty Carlin-y. <laughs> it's it's not unlike the seven seven words. It's like a modern version of it. We- it's less cute. It's less bitty. Like I can't I can't really do the bit the way like he he could almost do his like a song, you know." And it's funny because he was doing his last special the same night I was taping that one. We were on stage pretty much at the same time. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is stand-up comedian, writer, and director Louis C.K. A lot of comedians pride themselves on delivering some kind of rejoinder to political correctness. I mean, that's, you know, that's been one of the big themes of comedy for the past 15 or 20 years. Mm-hmm. A lot of those comedians do that essentially by by saying, you know, I offend all parties or mm-hmm. I spit in the face of political correctness. <laughs> I say what I feel and what you're thinking or something like that. Yeah. The premise of, of the bit that we just talked about yeah. is essen- is not that you know, these words aren't significant um, or uh, that it's only those liberal namby-pambies who stop us from making them. Maybe you should explain sort of how this idea occurred to you and, and sort of what the kernel of the bit is. Well, all three words uh, really make people upset. and But I just don't think life is that simple. Like the C word is a bad word. And if you use it, you're, you're hurting women. Uh, the F word that rhymes with tagget is a bad bad word and you're a, you're a homophobic if you use it and 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 then well the n word is, is different cuz i think it's hard to use it uh without being racist uh the c word happens to be a word i love to say cuz it just kind of clears my throat i enjoy it <laughs> it's just it's just a fun pipe clearing word it feels good and i say it look i like saying horrible things things that upset people feel good to say just because it's it scratches an itch. It kind of shudders through your body, and it feels good, you know. Um, now, does, but I don't do you think in, it feels good for you, or do you think it feels good for you know the house that you're performing before? It feels good for five hundred people that you're sitting. It feels good for me when I'm in an elevator or something. I say it to the numbers above my head. You know, uh-huh. Look at a cunt too up there. <laughs> I just say it, and uh, you know, and also that. You know, so I analyze that word and say, what's good? What good there is there in that word? Maybe there is some. And how is it used appropriately and how isn't it? It's worth talking about. People that are just, you know, it's funny because I do a bit now that I tell a story on on stage that's a true story about my daughter being bitten by a pony. My daughter got bit by a pony. And I, I call the pony a, a cunt uh, in the bit because <laughs> it bit my daughter. My daughter's six years old. <laughs> and I, by the way, the pony was a, a a male pony. That's not the point. I call the pony a cunt, this, this, the c word. And I see women in the audience, especially like younger women who are kind of hair trigger offended, get this look on their face like I'm offending them. 
And I just don't understand that. I don't understand. If I call a pony the C word for biting my daughter, why a, a woman who wasn't there thinks I'm offending women. It's got nothing to do with it. It's like, well, if you want to throw in with the pony and take the word, <laughs> fine. But I wasn't talking about you. So I don't know. I think I have a right to use that word to describe a pony that bites my kid. I don't think uh, it's got anything to do with a woman in a remote area of the world who, you know, whatever. And and uh, and then the, with the F word, that word is a word I grew up using and a lot of young people use now. And it's and it's very removed from meaning gay. It's never really about gay anymore. Uh, there's a few guy, muscly guys who say the F word out the window of a, you know, Oldsmobile to some you know, guy walking down the street. Um, but uh, a few muscly guys used to say that to me. Sure, I used to be called that all the time. Um, but it a lot of times, I think it just means it just means annoying. It's not something that ever meant gay. You know what I mean? So that's worth. It doesn't mean that it's okay to say it. It doesn't mean it's okay to throw it around. But it's worth talking about. It's something worth talking about to me. You've always been uh, unafraid to play with these kinds of ideas. I mean, you have a, a a very funny bit that I wish we could play, but we can't because it's the radio about September 11th. That we, yeah. you know, you've never been afraid to use the to use these kinds of ideas in your stand up. And you know, you've been doing stand up 20 plus years, I guess, mm -hmm. at this point. But is is there something different between the way that you play with these ideas now and the way that you played with these ideas when you were earlier on in your career? Is there is there something about that honesty that you describe that you've found? I think so, and I think uh, I used to be afraid, and I'm not anymore. Um, I think that I don't say anything on stage that I can't defend as a real idea that's in my head. And again, I don't think I'm not one of these anti-PC guys who says, uh, "Oh, shut up! I can say whatever I want, and you should just shut up." <laughs> like I don't believe that, but I do think there's wor everything that's just quote unquote offensive is worth exploring. It's especially if it's offensive. If it, the, the, the more volatile a thing, the more interesting the world around it probably is. So it's worth talking about. Um, and I do it sincerely, so I think people don't usually... I never really hear people get that offended. At my shows, I think they know what they're getting. But I still do shows in clubs where they don't know they're going to see me. I do that as often as I can in order to get a real gauge of how this stuff is working. If a bunch of people pay to see me, they're, they're going to give me a pass. So I try to drop in the clubs and perform the same material for people that weren't expecting me or maybe don't know me. But I don't generally get people, they don't, because they're following me, they're listening, it's a conversation. It's not, uh, you know, a shock value thing. I think it used to be a little more when I was younger, I think. Although I always just kind of talked from the gut. I think from when I, even when I started, I just didn't have much in my gut. I was a kid, there's not that much interesting about a 23-year-old kid, um, or 18 when I started. Uh, but I think I walked away from your question somewhere in the middle of that. I, I, <laughs> I think... Uh, yeah, like the look, the September 11th joke that I do is uh, is not like making fun of the people that got hurt or anything like that. It's it's a it was my particular. It's a true part of my experience and probably shared by a lot of people. I talk about a line that everyone crossed after September 11th, and everybody did. So you got you know there are people in the audience that go whoa. I like jokes that are brushback pitches where everyone's laughing. There's a mix of laughter and people going oh Jesus. 
uh, but that turns into laughter. That's a good. I like taking people to an area in their minds or in the culture that they don't think they should be thinking about or laughing at, and then getting them to laugh there. That's a great thing to be able to do. That take people to a place they're afraid of and go. There's something funny here. I was changing my daughter the other day, and she's too old for diapers now, but she's still in them, and it's bad because this kid does not poop. This kid craps. This is not okay anymore. I was changing her diaper the other day. It was like a 48-year-old alcoholic man's shit in her diaper. Like, she was out all night drinking Jaeger, and she went to Denny's and got a Grand Slam. Ate half of it, got in a fight in the parking lot, and... Passed out in a Pontiac and shit herself. And her friends drove her home with the windows open and dumped her on my lawn. And now I gotta clean it. And it's crazy. And you can't even react. You can't go like, what the fuck? That's disgusting. You can't, you'll fuck them up about their own shit. You gotta be nice. You open her diaper, it's just chaos in there. It's just bananas. It's just... I, every new, every shit amazes me. I'm never used to it. Everyone, I'm like, okay, wow, that is, what is that? You have been eating diarrhea for a week, I think. Because that's awful. And, but you can't. You got to be like, you know, you, you just go, oh, what are you, why? You really got something there, honey? That's really something. That's really okay. Well, all right, let me scrape that off your knees for you. Just get it down off your back. Just get all this hazmat in one place. Wipe you down. Clean your tiny vagina at the end. Who knew that that was going to be my life? I had no idea that my relationship to the vagina was going to be cleaning shit out of a tiny one several times a day. They don't tell you that. When you're getting ready to be a dad, nobody pulls you inside and says, you're going to have to clean the vagina a lot because uh, every time she takes a shit, it goes straight up her twat. They don't tell you that. Nobody tells you. And they should. It's a big part of being a dad. It's bigger than Christmas. It happens every day. And you got to get it right, front to back. It's very important. I, I think Americans are a little too bent on not being offended. I think people think that it's in the Constitution that they, they shouldn't be offended. And that's just not the way it is. There's things that are always going to be in your culture that really upset you. And you just get to go ahead and be upset. It, there's, you know, the, this idea of like... Uh, trying to get rid of words, especially words. Anything that's spoken is okay, I think. anything You can't say anything that's, I don't think, that harmful. I think as long as you're just saying it. If somebody, if it's not their favorite stuff to hear, it upsets them. Yeah, well, you're a grown-up. It's the sound of young America from MaximumFun.org. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is the brilliant stand-up comedian, writer, and director, Louis C.K., We'll have more with Louie in just a minute. Production of The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered. 
online at ask.metafilter.com. Max FunCon is now, surprise, surprise, completely sold out. We are working on securing a few more seats, and that may happen soon. So if you'd like to get on the waiting list for Maximum FunCon, email us at waitlist at maxfuncon.com. That's waitlist at maxfuncon.com. Include your uh, name and phone number and real email address. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest Louis C.K.'s brand-new stand-up comedy special on Showtime is called Louis C.K. Chewed Up. He's also a writer and director, having written for programs like The Conan O'Brien Show, The Dana Carvey Show, and The Chris Rock Show. He also wrote and directed the cult comedy Pootie Tang. I saw you perform, uh, or I, you may have been, I guess you were probably uh, being interviewed, you were on the couch on, uh, on Jay Leno on The Tonight Show, which is a show that, I mean, uh, uh, a funny show of the kind of show that it is, but it's a, it's very... It's a warm, friendly, middle American program. Uh, it defines itself by that. And you went on the show and practically led off by calling your children a foul name. Yes. Um, which, again, I guess we can't say on the radio, but, yeah. um, but calling your children a foul name, not without logic or mm-hmm. anything. When did you discover this vein? When did you discover this idea of you know, bringing your kids in, into the act or the idea of your kids into into the act in that way? Well, when I first had a child, it was a huge shock to my system. And I think the reason it was is because I, you know, it sounds corny, but I fell in love with her the moment she was born. And she started defining who I was at that moment. It just changed everything. I thought, like, you have a kid... And it's like a pet, you know, just somebody you tolerate and you get whatever joy you can out of it. And you, you know, sort of hang in there for 18 years and then they leave. I really didn't. I never uh, cared about kids before I had one. I didn't know any kids I liked. Anyway, so this this person all of a sudden is this huge part of your life. And she's tiny and vulnerable and I have no idea what I'm doing. And, you know, uh, and also you're having a relationship with a with the other parent and it gets strained it's a difficult life it's very hard but uh if you don't care it isn't if you don't if there's no love you don't who cares you just go go to the bar when people are annoying you and don't talk to the kid <laughs> it's easy i've seen parents to do that they're happier anyway so yeah it was a big deal and i started to talk about the frustration i was feeling on stage and i would say something like uh you know i uh, my wife and I don't have sex because our we have a baby and our baby's a a hole. And um, I said it once just to get the frustration out of my system, I think. And I got a huge laugh. And I realized that the laugh was coming a lot from parents and uh, married couples. And that, again, who love their kids, but they're just sharing that. I don't believe you really love your kid and are raising your kid unless you occasionally feel that way. Because that's just how frustrating it is to, to do the dirty work of raising children. So that's what I started talking about, what it felt like, and finding I was really connecting with people. And it started generating a huge amount of material for me. And it also changed the way I did material about other things. I started to really think, I can just say what I, what I really feel about things. And I love my kids, and I die for them, but that my life fucking stinks. It just does. It's what it is. When you're a parent, you know, you're, it's all, all the pleasures are gone. You don't, nobody fucks you ever again. That shit's just over. 
you don't you, you can't sleep you don't sleep you don't eat you don't eat meals you just eat at the sink fast standing up some macaroni and cheese that she didn't fucking eat and that's your dinner now with people yelling hurry up i'm just trying to get <laughs> you don't do anything fun your single friends like did you see that movie no i didn't see the fucking movie okay and you can't even enjoy being a parent because there's no no pride in it because we suck at it. Everybody sucks. We make huge mistakes. And then you just go, whoops, permanent damage there. Move on, I guess. <laughs> my five-year-old has all these twitches and weird fears. I'm like, good luck with that shit, honey. That's all my handiwork. <laughs> Sorry. I also found out that, you know, there's this feeling people have that single people are cool and worldly and connected and deep and that parents are shallow and they're nerds and they're conservative and that they're living a somehow people actually think that parents are living a an easy life or like a a, a protected life Do you know what i mean like a suburban but the fact is the opposite people that are living single that's a carefree life it's a shallow life and and uh being a parent is a very profound deep dark line to walk it's really vicious it's a it's a it's a hard world and it makes you question everything and so parents are effed up people you, you know <laughs> i mean i've had long talks with like soccer moms who are like you look at her uh on you know on the surface it's like oh, you have volvo and stretchy pants but that woman is has had some dark ugly thoughts <laughs> she's harboring a lot of profound guilt and existential, you know, there's a lot there. So it's been a really cool... For me, it's all been great. It's made my life worth living. I was really starting to uh, not be sure why I was around when I had kids. I, didn't, I was running out of... I wasn't getting that much satisfaction out of work, and I didn't really care. Oh, I didn't feel like I was contributing that much. But now, you know, however, it's like... It's, it's a really great thing. What's funny about that to you? Well, it's just a... a a thought that you're having and it's all bottled up and you can't get it out. When you're looking at your kid, the top of your kid's head and just going, God, I, I just want to murder you. <laughs> you can't think it, really. You don't even let your you don't even let your brain think it. Even your <laughs> own brain censors you. Even your own brain goes, Hey, so, come on, that's your child now. So are you suggesting that maybe this originates in your spinal column? Yeah, it's like somewhere somewhere really deep in. And that's what being a parent is not having perfect feelings for your children. Being a parent is not having perfect patience for your children or wanting all the time to do everything that you need to do to be a good parent. That's not being a parent is means being tired, underslept or non-slept, underfed, underloved and frustrated, out of control, and impatient, and actually fighting all of those elements to be a good parent despite them. And your kid doesn't see that. They do sometimes. It's not a bad thing to let your kid know once in a while what a person looks like that you just pissed off really bad. I, I Sometimes <laughs> I'll actually make an effort, even if I'm not feeling particularly impatient. Like if I'm okay, because I'm I have low blood blood pressure. My 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 resting heartbeat is in the 40s to 50s. It's really low. It used to be down in the 30s, but now you know I'm 41. Um, so I can take a lot. And so sometimes when my kid is really being difficult, which hasn't happened for a while, I've been really lucky with both my kids. But when they get uh, nasty, sometimes even if I'm not not feeling it, I'll react so that they know they can't think that people are gonna. <laughs> 
take that from them. They just can't. It's not how to raise a kid. But anyway, so when you feel those feelings of like, oh, I'm over you. I'm really over you, kid. I love you on paper, but I ain't feeling it right now. That's a feeling you have, and you fight it, and you force it down. So to let it out feels pretty goddamn good. And to let it out with, and, and, and to be um, in a room full of grown-ups that all have kids and, ha- and say those things, and they just laugh because they, they go, okay, okay, I've had that feeling, and it's okay. It's not, it doesn't make me a bad person. As a matter of fact, it, it's probably a sign that I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Here's the difference to me between boys and girls. Boys fuck things up. Girls are fucked up. That's the difference. Boys just do damage to your house that you could measure in dollars like a hurricane. Girls, like, leave scars in your psyche that you find later, like a genocide or an atrocity. Like, my, my sister-in-law came over once with her little boy. He's, like, four years old. And she comes over, and she's just... She's been with him all day, so she's in bad shape. She's got a drink, and she's like, I can't, I can't, I can't do it anymore. I can't, I can't do it, I can't do it anymore. And I put, like, an army blanket around her, trying to calm her down. And then her little boy walks after her. He's got a handful of sand. I don't know where he got it. There's no sand in my home. He's got a handful of it. Walks up to his mom and just throws it right in her drink. It's all she had. And he just ruined it. Really confident, too, not like this. He was like, yeah, that's where that shit goes, right there. And I was blown away by this because... I have girls, they would never dream of doing that. It wouldn't even enter their heads that a person could do that. But they're fucked up. Like my five-year-old, the other day, she, one of her toys broke. And she demanded that I break her sister's toy <laughs> to make it fair. And I did. <laughs> That's how much shit she gave me. I broke the little toy. And I felt awful. I was like crying. And I look at her, she's got this creepy smile on her face. Do you do you laugh in the moment ever? Yeah, sure. When that stuff happens. Yeah, more often than not. And you know, when I look at back at those specials, like the first half hour I did for HBO where I talked about my kids, um, and Shameless, I kinda I kind of shake my head at that guy. Like, I'm not that guy anymore because uh, I'm just, I'm a better dad than I was then and I'm older. Um, and so I look at it and I'm like, wow, you're really having a rough time, weren't you? And I mean, that's to me what I would say to my kids when they see this stuff is, um, yeah, I was hard raising you and I was young. I didn't know what I was doing. That's what it felt like, you know. But those are human feelings. I don't think there's anything wrong with those feelings. Um, I think they're they're good feelings to express, so... So now I laugh more at the old me than, you know. And now that the material I've done about my kids has changed because they've changed and so have I. So. What is, what's different about it now? I'm more telling stories about them because I actually have verbal, real relationships with them now. They're real people. They're not a, a toddler and, a, and, a, and an infant. Uh, I've got a six-year-old who's in first grade, and she's got a, a real, actual view of the world. And, uh, you know, when our dog died, we and I were talking about dogs before. My dog died, and... Uh, she really dealt with it 
great. I mean, she really cried. You want your kids to feel it. Like if they, if she didn't deny it, she took it in and cried. And the next day, she said, uh, "I had a dream that um, the dog got run over." No, she said, "I had a sorry." She said, "I had a dream that the dog was alive and happy." And her mom said, uh, "Well, maybe she is somewhere and she's happy." And she said, "No, she's dead." <laughs> she's like, "It's a dream." <laughs> like she's dealing, coping with death, and. You know, so that's a real relationship, and I'm trying to catch up to her. She's actually a little smarter than me. She's got better. She was telling me some story about a kid in her class who was. Uh, she said they were all, they were all supposed to say their names in the first day, and then the one kid went and made a noise. So I laughed, and she <laughs> went, "Yeah, it's funny, but I, I was upset because he's, he's breaking the rules." <laughs> she looked at me like disappointed, like, "Yeah, I guess it's funny." The point of the story is that I thought that boy was really rude. Okay, Dad? And I'm like, oh, yes, honey. Stop me if you don't want to talk about this. But you've, mm. you're you also now, after this special, uh, in the middle of a divorce. How have you dealt with that on stage? And how does the way that you've dealt with that relate to the way that you have dealt with your kids in the past? Well, um, pretty much what I say on stage is, about divorce is the way I talk about it. And I, I don't talk about my ex-wife anymore. Like, I used to talk to, about her on stage. I guess I felt like when we were married, there was sort of a compact there that, you know, her life was part of my life, and I'm talking about my life. Um, anyway, she's not part of my life now, not not in that way anyway. We'll always be part of We share children. Um, but um, so I don't think it's fair to you know talk about her private life now do you know what i mean right but so i don't talk about our i talk about being divorced and what that feels like and and, and it is it, it's interesting because i thought oh, i'm not going to talk about that but i have because it's another thing that people don't like to talk about it's another thing that people feel a lot of hurt about and are worried about and it's not that bad and i so i feel compelled to tell people that um, I feel the same thing as I did. I feel like I was doing a good thing for people when I was talking about my kids the way I did because they were feeling that way and it made them feel better. I feel like I'm doing the same thing now. And the main thing I say about being divorced is that it's not bad news. When somebody tells you the divorce, you shouldn't say, I'm sorry. It's a dumb thing to say because no good marriage ends in divorce. If it was, it would be sad if a good marriage ended in divorce, but that happens zero <laughs> because people that are having a good time stay together. So it's a good thing. It means something was bad and it's gone now. Divorce is one of those worlds you can't, it's like a door you can't look through before you walk through it. You just walk through it not knowing what you're going and getting into. And for me, the biggest change it's made in my life is my life as a dad because I'm with my kids now. We share custody and I'm with my kids every, you know, a few days every week. And the rest of the week, I'm on the road. But I'm with my kids half of the time I used to be. But I'm with them full time. I don't work when I'm with them. And it's just me. So I'm a single father for half the time. And that's a, a huge difference from what it was like before. And so, um, yeah, so I talk about that's the only reason I actually started to mention that uh, we're divorcing is because of how it's changed my life with the kids. I had to talk about it. I talk about how I can't go to the bathroom with the door closed. I have to open the door because i got to watch my kids while I'm, you know, there's no privacy. I can't, unless I'm going to gather them into the bathroom to watch Daddy take a dump. I have to <laughs> keep the door open where I can see everybody. 
that's one little difference. You know, you can't do everything you ate the way you used to do it. But it's also good that you can, when you're a single parent, you can call an audible. You can just change everything. Like I was going to take my kid to the Statue of Liberty about a month ago, and I got these tick. I ordered these tickets and this whole thing, and we packed a lunch and everything. And we went outside. We got three feet away from my building, and she fell down and scraped her knee and started crying. And I go, oh, that's you know, let's get in the cab. And she's like, I don't want to go. And I'm like, let's not go. Just let's let's just not go. Screw it. I get to do that because it's just me. When you have another parent there, any two parents will push each other into misery, even if they're good together. They go, we have to go. We got tickets. Ugh. I, why can't we just cancel it? Because this is what we're doing today. All that kind of crap. That doesn't exist for me now. I just quietly go. I don't care. I ate just I ate fifty bucks. What's worst? <laughs> Took her back inside, read her a book, gave her a plate of ham and cheese. She's fine. <laughs> Louis, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Sound of Young, Amer- Young America. It was thank so you. fun to have you. Thanks a lot. Louis C.K.'s new stand-up special, Louis C.K. Chewed Up, premieres October 4th at 11 p.m. on Showtime. He's also currently touring the nation on his Louis C.K. Hilarious Tour. You can find tour dates online at louisck.net, L-O-U-I-S-C-K dot net slash shows. That's it for another Sound of Young America program. I have been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. The show produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our theme music written and performed by Dan Grayson with help from myself. Interstitial music provided by Dan Wally. The program edited by Nick White, the intern Casey O'Brien. My dog's name is Coco, but she's in San Francisco right now, and I really miss playing with her. You can find us online at MaximumFun.org, and you can always email me. My email address is jesse at MaximumFun.org. Special thanks to all the donors out there who support The Sound of Young America. If you didn't know, The Sound of Young America is supported by your donations, and if you'd like to donate, you can visit MaximumFun.org. There's a Donate button right there in the upper right-hand corner. Two bucks a month, five bucks a month, ten bucks a month, twenty bucks a month, and I can, you know, pay my rent and eat and stuff. Okay, we'll see you next week on The Sound of Young America.